Hey, Jack. All right. You got this stuff? Yeah. All cleaned in oil. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Let's get it on. Who are these guys? It's my theme music. Every good hero should have some. pseudo-academic pop culture analysis roundtable with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-hosts, Hannah and Wayne. How's it going, guys? Hey, Mav. Uh, can we cancel 2020? I don't think they take returns. I think it's, uh, I think it's too late. You know, it's kind of a, sort of a you break it, you buy it kind of thing. Well, um, we, were, we were just talking before we started recording. We, we have a pandemic followed by murder hornets. And today there was an announcement of a Twilight sequel. So, you know, that's it. We're done. <laughs> yep, we are very done. And also, like, if you want to talk about your past coming back to haunt you, I thought I'd left this behind in high school. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did want to say that, you know, if you've listened to our last episode, I did want to thank you, Wayne, for bringing Man vs. Bear into my life. That was the, <laughs> that is, that is the best thing that has happened. I mean, now I watched several of the things that we mentioned on our on our bad things we we love episode. I also watched um, Too Hot to Handle, which I didn't like as much as I thought. The robot was not present enough. I, I wanted more robot, but um, but Man vs. Bear so did, so was did everything you promised. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that was funny because when I was listening back to that episode, Katya said, "Well, it only works, you know." If if somebody falls in love with the robot, and then somebody did, and it was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and then he became an abstinence detective. Um, yeah. which like I don't like that that show is too much. Yeah. Yes, but, but really, Man vs. Bear. If you've not watched Man vs. Bear, go on the Discovery Channel, go on Hulu, find Man vs. Bear. Wayne was right; it is everything that you promised. It is. And Man versus bear, and the bear always wins. Yeah, I, and I'm, I'm going to jump ahead here. We have uh, my my roommate Marcel's back as a guest today, and it was actually his boss at the Holocaust Center who recommended that to the two of us. Oh. And, and, and and likewise, we're both like, oh, right, okay, yeah, whatever. And then we couldn't look away. <laughs> well, my wife's stuff's here, and and when we finished recording that episode, I was like, I, I went into the other room and said, we have to watch this. And then we watched all nine episodes, just back to back. <laughs> We're just gonna eat this is nine hours of our lives that we, this is, and it was not a waste. This was something that needed to be done. But anyway. Um, it needed started, to be done. It needed to be done. It just, it, like, like, living in the year 2020, as you said, all the problems, you know, for nine straight hours last week, everything went away. And it was just me, Steph. The television, a man, and a bear. And it was because really, isn't the metaphor of 2020 is we're all fighting a giant bear? Yes, <laughs> it was great. But anyway, 
So, not the topic to this, this week, but maybe we'll have to do a man versus bear retrospective show at some point. Um, this week, <laughs> this week, I want to talk about music and movies because we have we have a lot of people here. So, yeah, you know, well, I'll say we already said um, my wife Steph's here. Hey, Steph. Everybody. Steph. Hey, Steph. Uh, Wayne's roommate Marcel's here. Hey, Marcel. Hello, friends. How are you? Yeah. Welcome back. Yeah. And we have Maximilian of Platform Music, who, you know, writes our epic theme song. <laughs> hey, Max. Hey, Max. Howdy. <laughs> Um, this, this topic's here for a couple reasons. One, I wanted Max on the show just because Max and well, I know Max is a musician, but also he and I have a love of, of several. When we used to be roommates, we, we we would play lots of movie soundtracks just like randomly as like studying background music. Broken Arrow being one of the greatest soundtracks to a movie that Steph's looking yes. at me like, what is Broken Arrow? Like, it's, it's, it doesn't matter. The movies. In- is that Christian Slater? Christian Slater is in it. Yes. I know all the Christian Slater movies. Okay. <laughs> but I don't know who bro- Christian Slater is. <laughs> oh. bro- you don't know who Christian Slater is. No. Really? No. Well, She's lying. Um, you have to watch I, Heathers. I'm not, and I don't know what Heathers is, but oh, he's I guess so I have time. <laughs> um, is this anyway. a generational gap? <laughs> yeah, it's yes. a generational gap. <laughs> it is. I, I thought he was. St- he's still famous right now, kind of. I mean, eh. Christian Slater's like he, one he, of those he, people. He, he was in Mr. Robot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't he win an award or something? He's won several, but he's one that, of the, for that. I did not. Yeah, he's like our, our episode where we're, talk, where we're talking about people who didn't, who never quite broke big. Christian Slater has been on on the cusp of breaking big for like forty years now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> probably. Well, probably like twenty five. Oh. I don't know, but Heather's um, Broken Arrow. He had, he's had a TV show that nobody watched um, called um, The Enemy Within, where he he played a guy with, who was a cop with a split personality, and he was he was trying to catch this villain who was his other personality, and they were always just running around. I vaguely remember yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I watched it because I was one like, thing I'm is really, very good. Oh, no, <laughs> oh, I know who he is. He had a bit part on The West Wing. Yeah, I'm, I'm reading his filmography yes. right now. Okay, so he's like he's like a real person who has real jobs, like a lot of the people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we talked about on that show. He just isn't a name I might necessarily know straight yeah. away if I. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, yeah. There's, 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 there's a brilliant soundtrack. Yeah, there's definitely something generational about this. But yeah. Yeah, well, she's never seen Heather's. So, yeah. <laughs> <That> was, <laughs> which is just weird. How are you even a person? <laughs> Maybe I'm not. Maybe that's the secret. Uh, anyway, this. Um, so, Max, I wanted to invite for this just because of his musical background. But I was going to tell the story that um, that I first had this idea for an episode once when Stephanie, for no reason of her own volition, just pointed out there, there was some reason. Uh, well, I was asleep. I, I like woke up one morning to Stephanie just saying, hey, you know, Grease is the best song on the Grease soundtrack. And I, I don't like, think it happened like that. It did happen. There was some like that backstory. <laughs> and, and I remember telling her, it's like, no, no, nobody thinks that. And she says, what song's better? And I was like. All of them. Every song on the Grease soundtrack is better than that. Now, to be fair, you're a huge Bee Gees fan. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, 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 another generational gap, I'm sure. Well, no, but it, but it's just like I think Grease is a brilliant. And Grease is not necessarily the best movie. It's a movie I very much enjoy. But um, but what makes that sh- that movie work is just the soundtrack. It's just a musical 
and the songs just sort of carry the plot along. And the reason I don't like the song Grease is it doesn't fit. It's, well, it wasn't really in the movie. I think not, it was. Yeah, it was just the credits and yeah. it helped you kind of like pull out of the 50s and come back to the present day. The 70s. The 70s, yes. <laughs> <laughs> or if you're watching it in here later, then it helps you at least advance the years a little bit before you yeah, come back to sure. it. Sure. <laughs> but, um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about what makes a soundtrack good. Uh, well, there's two things. A soundtrack, a score, a needle drop, diegetic music, non-diegetic music. These are all terms we're going to use throughout the discussion today. And we sort of wanted to sort of Sort of, you know, have a freeform discussion about what makes things. Okay, work, I hope you are going to define work. those terms. No, yeah, can no, you yeah. define diegetic for people who yes. didn't finish college? <laughs> I finished college and I still don't know. All right, well, that's that's probably the hardest one. Diegetic is um, diegetic means the world of the film or the world of the book. Or the, so, so in a movie, music is the easiest way to say this. If the other characters in the movie can hear the music, then it's diegetic music. So okay. in, like on, in, um, go ahead, Hannah. Uh, like, like on Lost, uh, Hurley finds a CD player and he presses play and then you can hear what he's listening to. But it's like right. organic to what's happening because right. he can hear it through his headphones. Whereas non-diegetic right. music is like basically most Everything of like the scores, um, like mm-hmm. like the Star Wars soundtrack. Like they're not hearing most, if not mm-hmm. like yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Darth the, Vader does not hear sounds. the Darth Vader march whenever he walks on screen. I like to pretend hmm, maybe he does. Chewie does. <laughs> maybe that's why he's so bad. <laughs> right, and uh, just quick shout out. Um, I know someone at Duke who studies this. Uh, Karen Messina. We can link to her academic profile. Like she studies diegetic and non-diegetic music and opera, uh, mm-hmm. which. I basically like learned a lot of what I know, like basically from her um, about like what's going on in film. So thanks, Karen. <laughs> um, yeah. So diegetic versus non-diegetic is. And so that's a good example. I always use the example of the, the music in Say Anything, just because I, I said in the blog, when he holds that boom box up, obviously they piped that music in. They didn't use the live recording. They piped it in later. Um, in the in the editing booth, but you know those characters can hear him playing Peter Gabriel, so it's diegetically in the music in the movie, and then non diegetic okay. is everything else. So there's diegetic music, there's non diegetic music. There's sometimes where it's kind of you know some people will play with the form and you know who can hear it and who can't. Baby Driver is a good example of that. Like Baby Driver, he's listening to music throughout, um, but not not necessarily all the other characters can hear it. But it is technically diegetic music because you know he's got his headphones on. Um, and then we should talk about you know there's scores versus soundtracks. Max, you want to take that one? Uh, sure. I mean that's okay. That's not like a college word. No, I want to make sure we have all of them out there. So when you're watching Top Gun and they play Danger Zone, that would be the soundtrack. And I don't think there's any other music in that movie that isn't part of the soundtrack. <laughs> and the score, the score is what John Williams does for Star Wars and stuff. You know, it's actually music written for the movie, timed to the movie. And um, yeah, it's, it, th- those kind of bleed together a lot, too, because you, you've got like and I don't want to say I don't want to say this. Absolutely. Commonly, um, so- soundtracks tend to be a lot of pop songs or rock songs and scores tend to be a lot of orchestral music but not necessarily because they can ble- they can bleed together but it is it, it's very much about you know here's yeah. a song that i that just we decide to put in the movie versus this is the atmospheric music that happens for right. the movie is a score um 
and my my good example there is always Jaws, um, because I, I I maintain that John Williams should have won Best Actor for Jaws because <laughs> because, because, because the the music is you know he is the shark the that mm-hmm. special effect yeah. really crappy robot is not the shark that song is the shark in Jaws yeah and I think like in an artistic sense there's not really a difference between soundtrack and score it's more of like a commercial division of like how you how you sell the different kinds of music that are both serving the same function in the movie. Mm-hmm. And then we had, um, we had ne- the other term I used was needle drops and a needle drop. That's there's no, there's not a technical definition there. When I say a needle drop, what I mostly mean is you've got a, you've got some sort of song that calls attention to itself when you're, um, w- you know, when the movie, when the movie is playing. So, um, uh, this is this happens a lot in superhero movies today because you'll have things like the example I used in the blog was Captain Marvel, where it's like, we're going to start the fight now. So then just a girl starts playing because you see, she's a girl and we're doing a girl fight. You see, it's it's female empowerment because she's just a girl. And I like the song, but it, it was just so in your face. Um, the movie Suicide Squad is nothing but this. Um, so those happen. Those happen a lot. But then it can be used. Well, one of my best examples um, is the movie Desperado which has a song called um, uh, White Train by Tito and Tarantula, which is there's a moment where um, Antonio Banderas's mariachi character walks out and he says, let's play. And then he just and then the music starts at exactly that moment. And then you're timing, you know, the beats of the beats of the action are timed to exactly the music in, in sort of a perfect scoring. Oh, but can I can I have a counterpoint real quick? Sure. Uh, Captain Marvel is not overblown in a bad way because it perfectly fits the nice aesthetic of girl power. And also it's a fun sequence to watch. So I think oh, I, I, love that scene. Um, yeah. uh, I thought the music, I also, I also think that Marvel actually has done in particular James Gunn in the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtracks, which mm-hmm. is not a hot take at all, but like, you know, the Spider-Man movies, like they pick such good songs that if they want to do a five minute fight scene to that song, I'll watch that song mm. and that fight scene. <laughs> it it makes the time go by. Well, um, I think I also think with Guardians, there's there's that weird mix of you know when they are in the in the first movie when they're they're getting ready to go on that final mission and the Runaways Cherry Bomb is playing. I don't get the impression mm. that they're all sitting there listening to it at the time. I mean, it's definitely non diegetic at that moment. However, it's implied that all of these songs are on the tape that he carries with him. So at some mm-hmm. point they've all heard Cherry Bomb, whether it's in that moment or not. So, mm-hmm. so there's sort of that weird, weird mix with that. Also with Guardians of the Galaxy and that tape uh, of that sound, right. that soundtrack for the four um, people who own it. So it's like Lens into the real world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like, I mean, like Cloud Atlas, a movie no one saw, did this too. Like, like they made Atlas. a limited edition. Oh, I did too, but no one else saw it. I saw um, it. I saw it. That was a great movie. It. Oh, there you go. Just us nerds. I just said that. <laughs> yeah. I think I also, saw it. Yeah. Uh, Josh is sure, but I think yeah, I did. saw it. You went with me. Okay. Yeah. And Josh popped into the room to raise his hand silently. So <laughs> he's also. Actually, Josh and I skipped a Halloween party we didn't want to go to and we went to the next town over and we watched it in the movie theater for Halloween. Um, <laughs> so if you're my friend who's listening to this like 10 years later, I'm not sorry. Um, we've also, sorry, yeah, we've also sorry, named but, all 10 but, people who've ever seen the movie Cloud Atlas just now. So. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 you know, Cloud, like Cloud Atlas like has a score that's part of the plot of one of the plots of the movie and that serves as like the score for the film itself. And 
the um, you know makers of the film also released like a limited edition um, vinyl of that score. Mm-hmm. So like if you want to pay five hundred dollars, which if I had five hundred dollars, maybe I would. You can buy the score like packaged as if it's the vinyl from the film. Mm-hmm. So like there are there are like the music like there are some movies and TV shows that I found a way to like have real life Easter eggs. With like the way that the viewers can also interact with the music in their real lives, mm-hmm. as if you are Peter Quill or one of the many characters in Cloud Atlas. <laughs> okay, so picking it up from there, like if we're talking about things like you know the the songs that are you know as Max said the soundtrack songs, and I you pointed out the you know is the thing with Captain Marvel you know bad or good? I actually think it's good in particular. I yeah. like uh, I well I like the I like the just a girl scene at the end a lot because I think it works really well. My problem with um my problem with the way it worked in Captain Marvel was that by the time we got to that scene, I was on '90s overload in a way that didn't work well enough for me. I can see now. Here's a, there's a difference though. Hannah was younger at that point than I was. Like so, that's more of a defining music for musical time for you because I was it worked a nice really kid. Well, huh? I was yeah, a nice yeah, kid. Yeah. Blockbuster, right. Dunkaroos, you know. Yeah. And so 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 there's a there's a nostalgia there for you that's not there for me. Whereas um whereas with Guardians, for instance, Guardians is exactly the music that I grew up listening to, right? Like that's yeah, it. Same here. like I'm I am the I am roughly the age that Peter Quill is, right? So so that so that makes so so Maybe there's a targeting thing there, but I don't think that because I think the bad example is Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad, um, 10 minutes into the movie, I just don't care about the music anymore because they like that. The opening montage is four songs in five minutes. They just clip them together and it, and it just gets dizzying and it, and it didn't work. They're trying too hard. Um, like I thought well, to be, but, to be yeah. fair, I, I, yeah. to be fair, Suicide Squad, let's be blunt, just isn't that great a movie anyway. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. it yeah, has a, a lot of things movie. working against yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bad movie. Um, it's a better movie than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> but it's a, it's a horror. It's a horror. No, I thought it was good. I thought it was going to be absolute garbage and it was just bad. <laughs> well, so, but it also <laughs> brings up an interesting area there too, because to what extent does music make a film? you know, does it make it good or bearable or great? You know, I think, I think music, whether it's a score or a soundtrack or both um, music, well utilized in a movie, obviously it elevates the narrative. So, you know, cause I've watched my fair share of dumb movies that have had amazing soundtracks. Um, I don't punch. know how many movies though, you know, like, and here's the thing. I think we could all name movies that were like maybe so, so movies overall, but had great soundtracks. How many movies though, can you name that were great, but the soundtracks really didn't do anything or you weren't thinking about it. Like I, I, th- I think you're a bad soundtrack either detracts from the movie or you don't notice it at all. Um, mm-hmm. And then I get a lot of people don't, don't pay attention to soundtracks and movies. I'm kind of obsessed with, with soundtracks yeah, in I, movies, whether it's songs or scores. Like I, I really can't not notice them. Yeah. I, and you and I've talked about that more. So I don't notice them the way you do. I, you know, it, it becomes part of the overall experience. And I know if the music wasn't there, it would, you might, the way I perceive the movie would be very different, but I can't say I'm often consciously aware of particularly like orchestral soundtrack. 
um, mm-hmm. while I'm watching the movie. Um, not not in the way right. you are anyway. Like I say, I, right. I'm aware of it in that if it wasn't there, I would notice. Right. And I know it has an impact on my emotion and the way I perceive things, but sure. I don't consciously separate it out the way I think you do. Well, you and I just recently watched a movie that I was, I, this is the first time I watched that movie in almost 20 years. And it's, it's not the movie I thought I'd start out talking about, but I'll mention <laughs> it. So yeah, he's laughing because he knows exactly what movie I'm talking about. So Van Helsing, <laughs> which came out in, what was that? Early 2000s, almost 20 years ago. Yeah. Almost yeah. 20 years ago. So Van Helsing, like I remember when, when there was the lead up to this movie, because you know, you had Hugh Jackman and he was in the X movie. So he was really super hype and popular. And when I first found out about this movie through friends, it's not, it seemed like it was going to be a slam dunk, you know, like, cause it was a, you know, you had a huge Ackman and all his power. You had, uh, I'm trying, I'm trying to think of the director's name, Steven Summers, who was just coming off of the two mummy movies he directed. And I had not expected to like those. And I saw the first one and was surprised how much I liked it. And then the second one was better something. And he, and, and universal had just given him the keys to work with the, the universal monster. So Van Helsing seemed like it was going to be a slam dunk. I saw it opening weekend movie was trash. Like it was just, it was so, it was so bad that the whole audience was in agreement and we all walked out just laughing at the things that you don't want to laugh. It was ridiculous. I will say this. I sat in that theater. The one thing that I walked out of there impressed by was the soundtrack because there was this classical guitar that was going all through the movie, (laughs) through all the action scenes and stuff. And it was amazing. I was like, I'm going to look for that sound. So literally I was out the next day. I bought that soundtrack based on that classical guitar. Now here's where that movie pulled a second sucker punch on me because I played that when I got home. And I mean that, that classical guitar went all through the movie. Like it was the one thing that made me, that kept my attention in that movie. And that's that piece made up about a minute and a half of the soundtrack. They had just been looping it again and again <laughs> in the movie. And I was so angry. Like to this day, that makes, but I'll tell you it's, what. It's, it's a thing. Trust me on this. It's a thing. <laughs> I'm not. I'm half. Not. You know, a movie's bad too. When you walk out of the theater with an idea for what the movie should have been in your head, like almost a full blown script. But that said, <laughs> I've, I, it's, it also has made me pay closer attention to how, how other music is, is utilized in movies. Now I, I do pay attention to that, but the idea that, cause that was such a cheat. I realized like with the way they utilized this one great piece, but they use it over again. And it wasn't, it wasn't just the leitmotif. Like they kind of over relied on that one piece, but in the hands of a skillful composer and you know, there's so many of them and we'll go into that before we're done, I'm sure. But in the hands of skillful composers, you know, that doesn't happen. And, and, you know, when I know when I've listened to soundtracks after the fact, I am a huge John Williams fan. Now, the world of music scores goes far, far beyond John Williams both before and after. But, you know, I'm not the first person to, to, to think that he really nobody does it as well as he does, because so mm-hmm. many of his scores like you, Mav, you already cited one of his key ones, Jaws. Like his scores bring to mind characters and scenarios, and you can you could hum just a few notes from some of them. Jaws, you can literally hum two notes, and people <laughs> know what that is. Now that's that's power, you know, because there's so many powerful film composers who you would probably you know you might know their names, and you would you could say you definitely have seen their movies, but would you recognize a few notes or even a bar or whatever of score? 
So there's a lot of criteria as to what what works, what doesn't. Like right now, as much as I I love that classical guitar in Van Helsing, I oh you know what I was going to say I couldn't tell you who composed it, but I think it was actually James Horner. And I'm going to look that up before we're done. But there's a lot of factors that go into this stuff. So when, well, with Williams, I think for instance, he's I mean, I, I, very few people who are into scores of soundtrack wouldn't consider him sort of the king of you know of of that job right he's you know he's i don't even remember how many like best how many grammys and oscars he has total but it it's a it's a ridiculous amount like 17 or something yeah um, it's it's absurd best best scores it's most of the it's like half the films since he's been you know half the year since he's been working he just wins um and i i think that one of his you know one of the things that's amazing about williams for instance he obviously he scored all the star wars movies or all the main ones and the subtle variation you know there is a empire theme but the Empire theme from Empire Strikes Back is different than the Empire theme from Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. And it's in, in very subtle ways that sort of update it. And, you know, he is very good at making at making the song part of the movie, part of the experience. Wayne, you talked about not actually noticing it. But if you ever get a chance, if you, if you go on YouTube and if I find it, I'll link it in the show notes. But there are, you know, people have cut together. Here's what Star Wars sounds or looks and sounds like without the musical score. Yeah. It's fucking weird. Well, and, that's, and, and that's it. When I say I don't notice it, it's it's unconscious. Yeah. I know I notice it, you know. Yeah. But yeah, you're it, noticing, it, it becomes you're part of the, not being drawn out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it becomes part of the whole experience for me. It just it is so married to the, the imagery and everything that's going on that I don't separate it out uh, in mm-hmm. in the same way. And with Jaws, for instance, he has um, you know, the the shark music plays when the shark's around and there are points and there are points underwater where the shark's not there and the music doesn't play and it's sort of eerie by its absence mm-hmm. like it, it is and, and the shark's and that, not there and, it, mm-hmm. and, and jaws, it, it jaws would be a, yeah. jaws would be a very different movie with the benny hill theme yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the benny hill thing makes one of the most brilliant music scores ever <laughs> um yakety sax for people who don't know is the name of the song we, we we now need to mash up a jaw scene with the acne sack just to see how it looks. <laughs> Max, get on uh, that. A, uh, if I can, if I can find it, there is a, there is um somebody's website that just takes random movies and replaces all the scores with yakety sack. <laughs> <laughs> I, might, I might link them in the show notes. Yeah, too, if I can find do. I think music in movies, as far as like people's attentions, generally speaking, they work like special. It's it's a special effect. It's it's an it's you know, because when special effects are working, you kind of don't right. notice them. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it works kind of like that. Also, before I forget, I just want to throw in uh, that Van Helsing was by Alan Silvestri, just so credit, ah. credit is due. Uh. That's um another that's another one. So Silvestri is a big composer. Zimmer's one. one. Max, who else are mm-hmm. the, the, the big names? Zimmer. You don't like Zimmer? Well, it were- I love Zimmer. <laughs> I love Zimmer's music. It's a joke. I can get into it later. Yeah. <laughs> Zimmer is so Zimmer is actually he's really great, but he's not the best. So he's like a really good guy to hate if you're jealous of his success and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> because you because you feel bad you, you'd feel bad if you'd like, oh I hate John yeah, like Williams. I can't hate John Williams. No. <laughs> oh, you could. You know what? I have been in. I have gotten in arguments with people about John Williams, and and the single biggest thing that commercial. people levy against him is that John Williams's music all sounds alike. And <laughs> I mean, I came. Look, I came ready for all of this today because. Okay. 
I I've had so many people say this about John Williams, but I what I will acknowledge is there's a through line with his music. But when you really study his catalog and mm-hmm. you you line up, you know, because we think of movies like uh like Superman and like Star Wars films and like Harry Potter films and like Raiders of the Lost Ark, the Indiana Jones movies, movies with a lot of drama and bombast and action which play to his strengths. But when you look at his, like his full catalog where he's done movies like Amistad and Lincoln and catch me if you can, John Williams has amazing range. Like there, there are soundtracks of his Schindler's list. You pull music from those movies. If you were to line up cuts across the board, you wouldn't, if you didn't know, you wouldn't know, but his work, like his, his approach is the same, but I've definitely got into arguments about him. So I think like you could, there's there's individual taste when it comes to composed mu- music for films as opposed to you know, like who's best, who's not. And, you know, th- I'll say there are composers. There's people who've done work for mu- movies. I can't call them. I'm not necessarily I'm not really a Zimmer fan, but I was I, I did a little bit of research on this and was looking up specific movies with specific composers. And mm-hmm. Zimmer has a specific approach that he uses with certain movies like uh, I'm going to like Inception or Interstellar, where he takes the theme of the movie and builds off of that. So it's kind of so like what are some Zimmer movies to remind us? Hans, well, Broken Arrow, Inception, Interstellar, Dunkirk most recently. Yeah, he did some of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. I don't think he did them all. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, or he might have done them all, but mm-hmm. um, Interstellar, uh, Dark Knight. Yeah, he, he likes to work with Nolan a lot, Christopher Nolan. Mm-hmm. Or Christopher Nolan likes to work with him, probably. I, I, I think oh, Nolan's Some Memento, too, then. Uh, did he do I don't know if it goes that. I don't know if it goes that far back. He might have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he did Inception. Did you, did, you know, if you play the soundtrack to Memento backwards, you get the entire story. <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious. Well played. Well played. <laughs> he did um, most recently Dunkirk. Yeah, and he doesn't. there's a lot of complexities in that that I was not aware of. Like, so, you know, he he is thinking it's easy to dismiss certain people. You know, like I was not a fan of his Man of Steel score. But you know what? I've gone back. I've listened to it again. There are elements of it that I can appreciate. Like, I can't say I, I can't say it's won me over, per se. Mm-hmm. Part of that is also because John Williams has left such a deep impression with that character. I don't know if it's really possible to kick that one out to really fully embrace another one. But you know, he's got, he's got, he's got an approach that he uses that works. Um, It's God, there's just, I, I'm sorry. I have a literally a list of different composers in front of me. Cause I was trying to, I was thinking this through, you know, like what, and right now we're just, just talking about people who make music for film and what goes into that and what makes, you know, what works consistently and what doesn't. Um, two of the more recent composers whose work I'm, I'm a big fan of are John Ottman. Uh, and John Ottman works a lot with Brian Singer. So his movies included uh, the X-Men movies, you know, uh, starting with X-Men 2, X-Men United, then he, X-Men Apocalypse, X-Men Days of Future Past. But he also did Valkyrie, uh, The Losers. He did the music on Superman Returns. Uh, and, uh, uh, oh, excuse me, there's, uh, uh, oh, The Usual Suspects. And what makes John Ottman unique is he also edits a lot of the movies that he works on, including several of the ones I just mentioned. So there's a composer who has a lot of power, you know, because you you figure typically mu- music is 
scored to a film. But when you're also working as editor, you can do the, you can do that same process the other way. So his his movies are are, are uh, unique. There's also Michael Giacchino, and Giacchino's just he, you want to talk about an impressive catalog. Look at his range of stuff. It's kind of crazy. It's so good. He's, he's worked on film and TV. Uh, you know, he worked on Lost. He worked on Alias and. I mean, where I don't even know, hardly know where to begin with that dude. Like he's just the Incredibles movies, the more recent Spider-Man movies, that guy. And he he's he's so smart. A range of influences there. You know, you listen to his incredible soundtracks. There's kind of a 60s jazz vibe thing going on there um, compared to the things from Marvel, like the Spider-Man movies, where it's much more in keeping with the robust nature of current superhero films. So uh, you know, any one of them, you could pick apart like what what makes them work and what doesn't. But I, there's there's so many choices that go into what they do and finding the right composer that works. Um, I, that said, I still say John Williams is the best because you you just remember his stuff. Oh, I was, I was going to say that I've, I've noticed that like every person we've listed so far has been a man like in terms of like composers. Uh, and I, I, that's partially for a reason in that, um, very few women have like gotten the same kind of recognition as John Williams, though. Mm-hmm. Hilder sure. Gundator, uh, just won for the Joker soundtrack. Um, yes. and, uh, I can, I can link to a source, uh, for those of you who are like interested more, but you know, she's one of the very, very few women who's ever won for best original score. Um, hmm. And she's the first. She's not the only one. I thought she was the only. No, no, sorry, sorry. Oh, not. Let me correct that. Back up. She's one of the few women who's been nominated, and she's yeah, yeah nominated like, winner. Yeah, and like you know that that's not surprising. Um, I think that like the only thing in pop culture, and again, like there's so much pop culture. Um, but uh, the one thing I've seen who like that's ever like bothered to even talk about what goes into being a female composer and highlighting some of the historical female composers was Mozart in the Jungle, um, which Amazon very rudely canceled in a very unhappy place. Um, and it was a delightfully quirky uh, TV show about union rights and music and starred Gael Garcia Bernal. So like, why would you do that? Um, but anyway, like, like, you know, like it's, it's still like, like a lot of, um, parts of like the film and TV industry still like dominated, um, heavily by men. Mm-hmm. I do want to get a little into what, you know, we've been talking just about sort of our favorites of who people are, but I'm sort of curious as to what people they what makes a soundtrack work or a score work and what makes it not work. So Steph, for instance, like you like the Grease song. You talked about it a little bit. You like it because because you said, it, I mean, well, obviously it's, you like the band, but also what makes it work for that movie for you? Okay, well, to be completely honest <laughs> about this, um, I wouldn't really say I just like the Bee Gees. And if I really had to be honest and say which of the songs on the Grease soundtrack I like the most, it probably would not be that one. Uh, I don't know which one it would be. I'm not a fan of 50s music. I do like disco. But yeah, I, I wouldn't I didn't I don't like it when I said I did like it. It was mostly because I'm a a BG fan and yeah, it didn't really have anything to do with how it integrated with the movie. What does, so what can you think of, and not one of the ones we said already, not Jaws, but like, can you think of a song where you're like, Oh, that song does make the movie. Okay. Like the one song, the one thing that's keeps coming to mind Mm -hmm. is, um, that theme from Galactic Battlestar Galactica. 
that I think it's all along the watchtower, like a yeah. kind of tone. Yeah. That, yeah, that kind of that's like haunting to me. And of course, Jaws and of course, the classic mm-hmm. Halloween. I think those are I think those are perfect examples, because I think in, I think in, in things like, you know, we talked about diegetic versus non-diegetic in Halloween and Jaws. These are absolutely non-diegetic music, right? mm-hmm. like the shark. The, the music is the theme to the shark. That is the character of the shark. That is the character of Michael Myers. Um, Galactica, there's sort of a, you know, it's sort of both, right? Like they do all along the Watchtower subtly and they build it over a course of Yeah, season. I think that's why like, it's, it's so brilliant. haunting. Yeah. 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 And then until they finally um, get to the point where, oh, people are hearing it in their head. What is it? And like, I don't know. I don't know when I actually picked up on what it was, but it wasn't originally. It wasn't when they yeah. first, it, it wasn't it, it wasn't even when they first started talking about it on a rewatch. I've gone back and realized, oh, my God, they were using this for a year yeah. before anybody mentioned it. Hmm. it was it's brilliant. a good song to do that with because it's only got like the two chords. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's just it's, and it's and it's like subtle. It'll just be slowly just in a random scene. It will just be uh, and you'll just hear it like quietly under some other music or while somebody's walking by mm-hmm. and you can just pick it up. Or like, I mean, yeah, Maxi said it's, it's it's easily like a year before um, they start pointing out they can hear it in their heads. And stuff it it's weird. And then when even when they when they do that, like they're like um, on the episode where it all comes together, it's just different people playing it. And it's not the original recording mm-hmm. or any of the five you know previous um, times that's charted. Um, it never seems. It, it never seems to like really knock you over the head, or at least it didn't for me. That's an interesting song because I don't know if I've ever actually heard the original, but I can't imagine the original being better than any of the covers <laughs> because it's uh, Bob Dylan. Bob yeah, Dylan, yeah. Dylan is, I think Dylan wrote it, but yes, like Dylan, yes. Yes, he definitely Price. wrote it. He, yeah, he, okay. he wrote it and recorded it first, yes. Okay, because there's been so many covers of it. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm, They're I'm all so yeah, good. Dylan's probably the least known. Yeah, and his is really good. Yeah, I, I'm not the biggest Dylan fan of the world. It took me a long time to oh. appreciate him as a I songwriter. Love so much. I, I I have come to, but it, it took a long time to week. get there. Yeah. yeah. He, uh, um, he, Dylan was on our show last week, live. Wow. Yeah, we just <laughs> talked about this on, on the last episode we recorded. But I, but yeah, I mean it's it's partially because it's a really good song. And you know, and his his version of it is solid. But yeah. There have been much better covers of it. Hendrix is, yeah, I, I think, yeah, yeah I think yeah, that's the, the first one. version I've ever heard, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah. And the Prince one's nice. I mean, there, yeah. it's, and the Galactic one's nice. It, it, it always works. Yeah. Um, I am curious um, because, like, I think that Marcel was saying, you know, you, you could have a song like that that just sort of really fits in. In, in, in Galactica, it really fits in. It jaws it really fits in. And um, I think um, Baby Driver, one of my favorite movies, and I think that that worked because. More so than even any of the visuals, that is a part of the uh, part of the experience of of watching that movie is like really just sort of watching it and paying attention to exactly how the musical people walk in time to the yeah, film. and it's it's a, it's amazing. Um, and then I think of something like Jaws, where Jaws is you know the music for Jaws is almost not only is it a brilliantly written song. But it is it's almost like listening to Peter and the Wolf, where, you know, mm. the instrument is part of is part of it. Um, mm-hmm. um, and I, I mentioned there are things like it's a musical, not a not a not a movie yet. but I'm sure it will be. But like Hamilton, you don't need the visuals. You can just listen to the album. And, it, and that is literally the entire story. Um, what happens when you, you know, 
because I'm thinking about the Wayne's thing where he talked about how not noticing. And I said, well, you do suddenly notice. I think there is um, there's a thing where you can where if a song is changed, there's this thing called the Walk of Life Project, which I will link to in the show notes, which, yeah, it literally takes the ends of about 50 different movies. And whatever the last scene is, they play the last scene by replacing whatever the music should have been with Walk of Life by the Dire Straits. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of awesome. It's fascinating because sometimes it works. I mean, it always works. It it fits in, but it can entirely change the mood of the scene. And that's... That comes mm-hmm. into play sometimes when you this stuff being released, the rights to the music uh, and and how that's played out. When you, one of the examples of that I can think of is TV show Northern Exposure just really used music incredibly well, and mm-hmm. the the DVD release of the, that series oh, was horribly delayed because they couldn't obtain all the rights again, and they never did obtain all the rights. When they finally released it on DVD, they replaced some of the songs. So when you watch those episodes on the DVD, it's not the same experience as when you watch them live. That's when, when so they were, wrong. Yeah, and it's been long enough now since you know since the beginning. When I first got the DVDs, I was aware of some of the changes. It's now been long enough since I've seen the originals that I don't know what they are. But there were places where they overtly changed the the musical cues and the songs that were being used, and it changed the the mood of the scene. Yeah, I remember um, back when House was on. I used to watch House all the time, and occasionally I'd miss an episode, so I'd have to go watch it on iTunes or something, where they did not have the rights to use Teardrop as the opening theme, mm. and it just ruins the entire experience. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that licensing songs for, for TV, just I'm just bringing this up. Marcel and I have been binge-watching uh, the TV series My Name is Earl, and, mm. and they must have spent 98% of their budget on the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Because every episode, 22 minutes episodes is about 20 minutes of licensed songs and they're used incredibly well. They're kind of brilliantly placed. But dear God, the money they had to spend to obtain the rights to this stuff. It's just kind of yeah. stunning to me. Yeah, it, it, they they went deep. <laughs> yeah, they went they really deep. For main characters, incidental characters. It's like it's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. There's so so this I guess will loop in several of the things that we're talking about here because okay so we were talking before about individuals like the first part of our conversation had to do with individuals particularly film composers and you know who are favorites and who are not favorites and um, as I've come to generally understand it there's film uh, like composers and scores music that is made specifically for a movie and then there are there are soundtracks where music is curated, pre-existing music is curated for a film. Now, it's all serves more or less the same purpose, but there is there is a slight difference. You know, obviously, if you're making something specific for a film versus curating it. But that said, you know, what what makes the soundtrack work, whether it's a score, whether it's songs, whatever. And I've I've come across a couple things recently. Um, there's a there's a YouTube channel called Cinefix, and they they have a lot of really great uh, uh, essays on filmmaking, and they they talk a good bit about both scores and soundtrack. And one of the things that this this calls into play is, and it's think I think it's why we gravitate to certain composers more than others. But this can work as well with whether if you're curating a soundtrack is there's mood like i think wayne you you touched upon like there's there's the mood some some composers are really good at establishing mood mm-hmm. and when you think about that there's movies like 
the omen, you know, where, you know, even me just saying that just now, there's certain musical cues that that brought to mind because it's such a part of it. Um, Taxi mm-hmm. Driver is another one or the Terminator movies. You know, there's a mood that is suggested by what is done there. But then there's also now in that in Cinefix's essay, they talk about a difference between mood and tone. I think that's very, very similar. But, um, you know, if there are movies like uh, you had mentioned before, Pirates of the Caribbean, those movies. And I think it comes down to their leitmotif. You know, there is that whole swashbuckling element that is very much conveyed in those movies. Um, there's more high concept comp- composition with films where there's ideas at work, which is where I, I that's actually where I think Hans Zimmer, where he comes in, you know, like I think he's thinking more intellectually about his approach to music. Um, but ultimately, I think the thing that, and there's there are other there are other with things that break down. I think ultimately the music in a film, it really has to emoke, evoke an emotional response in a listener, whether you're consciously aware of it or not. Like music in a movie, to me, it is it is honing in on the audience's emotions and it is manipulating you. And and whether you want to be or not, I mean, if in my mind, if you're watching a movie, you have given a tacit permission for this narrative to manipulate you emotionally. So to a the degree. Most, yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I was just wondering, like, people, I th- several people today have mentioned, like, themes and Marcel, especially you, that you didn't even realize that this theme had been repeating throughout the entire movie. And, like, right. the Jaws theme. It seems like the most powerful themes are the ones that are repeated throughout the movie you you come to recognize and maybe you come to like associate that with different aspects of the movie and maybe that impacts your interpretations later on of or across six movies like Darth Vader or that yeah, yeah. Well, I, mean, I, I, I think so yeah. or not across six movies like the Marvel movies which there's actually a good a bit of YouTube literature on why Marvel music is terrible because they don't bother mm-hmm. to repeat it. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, so, with, with so I'm the, right. With, yes. With the exception of, and, and it's, I think it's, I think it's a lot of it, how well the directors work with the, with the composer. Yeah. Well. That's a question Agreed. I have. Like, how does that work? Like, do the composers see the full, fully made movie and then think about their, like, how, how, how does the coordination lucky. work? Huh? If you're lucky. It depends on, it I mean, happens. it depends on the director. Yeah. It depends on the relationship that the, the, the composers have with the, with the filmmaker. Because, you know, obviously John Williams and Steven Spielberg have they've it's uh, Williams tells a really funny story when he's in in per, about how uh, <laughs> their essential their marriage has worked out where there's there's a movie I'm trying. I think it was Schindler's List when uh, when Spielberg approached him to work on that and he told him about what the narrative was and he came to his house to do this. And after a moment, Williams had to step outside and he kind of collect himself and came back and goes, look. I, I, I don't think that I'm adequate to this task. I don't think I'm the composer you need for this movie. I don't think I'm talented enough. And Spielberg goes, you're right, but everybody else is dead. <laughs> so, but they have a very, you know, they have a marriage, but you know, then you have people like Tarantino who I guarantee you, you know, Tarantino as a, as a, as a screenwriter and director, he has songs in mind when he's writing his screenplays. Yeah, well, and he he's studied, see that yeah. Work. yeah, he said he does, but then it depends on, um, so with the Tarantino movies, uh, Kill Bill is very definitively scored differently than mm-hmm. all of his other films. Uh, Kill Bill, the two, the two Kill Bill movies together, which are scored by the RZA, um, and it, it works in a different way than 
Pulp Fiction is entirely needle drops. Like like I said about Car- uh, about uh, about the, uh, the Captain Marvel movie. Pulp Fiction is literally a lot of. And by the way, I love the theme. I love the soundtrack of Pulp Fiction. But it's a lot of oh, how can I make this song work right here? You know, like, like mm. I want to play Reservoir, Reservoir Dogs too. <laughs> I want to play Little Green Bag. What do I have to do in order to make this work? Well, hey, that, you, can, you can tell he's doing that. Hmm. I, I want to touch on that. Uh, one of the comments we got uh, from Terry Lee, who's been on our show, talking mm-hmm. about seeing A Knight's Tale, which was using contemporary music in yes. in that setting and how it completely took him out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that that is a case. Like There were needle drops used in that movie, contemporary music, but in that medieval setting, he just didn't think it worked. Yeah, and well, Night's Tale is like Night's Tale is very definitely. They're like, okay, we need to use We Will Rock You in this movie. What do yeah. we need to do to get you to a situation where we can play We yeah. Will Rock You? And mm-hmm. that's and it it feels like it. On the other hand, you know, like, uh, like Marcel said with um with uh, with Williams and, and Spielberg, everything just feels massively organic mm. because they work well, together. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Max, you've you've done you know you've done the exercise as a musician of trying yeah. to score a film. By yourself, but now obviously you're not. You know, you were doing it as an exercise. You weren't hired by the uh, by the director, so you're doing right. it after the fact. But how do you take? How do you go about that process? Um, I go. I go through the whole movie and basically just set up the timing, seem like where the music needs to change, um, where the tempo needs to change, and the feel of it, and all that. And then I just, you know, I'll like focus in on one section, and um, I'll refer back to the other things I've already written for it. To see, you know, what things might be, it might make sense to reuse here or to reuse and alter here and whatnot. And yeah. so it's just basically dividing it into uh, a bunch of very small compositions that can be united throughout the yeah. thing. And if you've, um, ever, if you've ever seen footage of how of how Williams scores um, scores a big blockbuster, he sits there conducting with the movie playing behind him. He has, right. the, he has the movie playing over the orchestra and he'll sit there and he watches the movie and, oh, okay, I need more, I need more strings over here, so I'll, I'll bring the strings up and, nope, horn section, horn section, you know, like he's actually watching the film as they go in order, in order, to, in yeah. order to, to record it. It's actually a breathtaking watch him actually work. So, and that's I mean, not how that's yeah. <laughs> he's written the music. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. oh, but he's editing the music then at that point. Yeah. You're saying he's recording it. At, yeah, he's recording okay. it at, while watching it. He's doing okay. the recording and, and making yeah making yeah. editorial ch- changes mm-hmm. instead because he's a, a lot genius. of that has to do with syncing it up to the film. Mm-hmm. You know, but you know, you have well nowadays it's nice because we live in a day and age where more music from films is released. You know, if we for, like when I first got the, the the introductory soundtrack for me was the one for superman the movie go figure that was all the things you know it was superman mm-hmm. and it was this grand score and it was this double album vinyl set and i listened to that thing incessantly um in the movie lex luther says <laughs> you know you can you can learn the secrets of the universe from a chewing gun rapper if you're or if you're trying and i feel like that one soundtrack kind of opened up the world of soundtrack there's a re like th- that soundtrack i credit with the reason why i'm kind of obsessed with how all these things work and you know and there's no i i think it needs to be noted there's no one way to work on these things because you know tv composers uh you know they often it's one person and they they are literally scoring every episode when it's when it's like an actual score and soundtrack first first person who i was aware of doing that was jan hammer who worked on miami vice Mm-hmm. Um, and Pretty you know, like 
I had never, you know, I, it had never occurred to me that one person could produce all the music you hear, but that that's common now, you know, that, that, that does happen a good bit. Um, so there is no one way to do it though, because there are composers who, you know, who, who, who will compose themes and a lot of it before they even see anything like based on scripts and, and notes and things like that, which I think would be incredibly hard, but then there's, yeah, there's, right. there's yeah. a lot of editing yeah. options that come in after the fact, which <laughs> is why. Grace. Yeah. And, and, and I mentioned Mike, uh, 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 John Ottman earlier, and I got to tell you the, the ENTJ part of me really loves the idea of being a film's composer and its editor, because you would be able, if, if you have the latitude given to you by the filmmaker. And my understanding is that there's a lot of trust in there, but I don't, I don't know if singer and Ottman work together anymore. You know, obviously singers in a very different place creatively now, but I, he is, you know, you have a lot of control if you're able to control both of those elements, both how the movie is edited and how the music syncs to the to, to what's happening on screen. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just think that's ideal. Like I, I certainly would never expect <laughs> Uh, a film composer to to take that on that's a because that's a whole other discipline like film editing is a discipline in and of itself so just the, the idea that there's even one person working out there professionally doing both of those things I me mean, just kind of boggles my mind that's that's the guy i would want to watch work if i could pick steph before i forget to because I, I keep thinking about you with this grease thing so first of all i love disco i love that song i think grease though falls they into a specific category because that's a movie based on a musical on a stage musical and anytime mm -hmm. you adapt a stage musical to film you know there's basically a built-in soundtrack there and more often than not what happens is you end up with you know so, uh, songs will get cut for different reasons just like scenes will get cut and movies get because movies and stage musicals are not the same thing um, and that's why it can be tricky of course making a movie that's faithful to a stage musical but a practice that is very common is the addition of songs to movie musicals that are based on stage musicals. And that's because for awards purposes, yeah, you cannot nominate songs mm. for a best like best original song from a soundtrack mm -hmm. if that soundtrack is derived from pre-existing music. So usually you'll get an original song or two. So because that song can then be nominated. Yeah. yeah. And the Grease is one of those cats. Songs. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. exactly. That's yeah. right. Mm -hmm. well, ca Cabaret is one that uh, the soundtrack of the movie, you know, the movie left out a lot of significant songs from the, the stage play. And Liza Minnelli gets to sing her ass off on two or three things that aren't in the stage play at all. So and for that reason, we uh, we can go back to our previous episodes for our feelings on award shows. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of curious. Yeah, you know, before we run out of time, I am kind of curious. Other than stuff we've mentioned, what are what are the soundtracks that really work or don't work for people? Like, because uh, we we touched on it a little bit as to you know when it can really bring you out. And I, I've been trying to think of a, can I think of one where it's just completely ruined? I can think of movies where <laughs> I mean I've I've said before I love the soundtrack to Sucker Punch. I love the soundtrack to Sucker Punch more than I love the movie. Um, yeah. The movie <laughs> works for me at all mm -hmm. because it is just a music. If I try to think about the plot to that film, it's awful. If I try to think yeah. about anything about it, but there's just visuals to go go along when I'm listening hour, to that album. An hour and a half music video. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, very, very pretty. Um, I, I've been, I think I, that things that work well, you know, we, we talked about Jaws, we talked about Star Wars, but I'm wondering for everybody, what are some things, TV or movies, where you feel I, like the soundtrack 
does make it. I, I've I've been watching. I've been binging uh, Peaky Blinders during the pandemic. And it's set in the 1920s, and the soundtrack is all more contemporary music. Now, maybe I love it because it's about 90% Nick Cave and PJ Harvey, who I love anyway. <laughs> but the the songs I've chosen, aside from just those two artists, are they are moody. They really convey a sense of that world, even though they are completely anachronistic and appropriate. But, you know, they're not sitting there listening to it on on the radio. I episode I, I saw last week. There was one scene where. They bring in a Victrola and put on a record and two characters dance. And the record they put on is purely from 1925. You know, it's the, the music that the characters are listening to diegetically is is period appropriate. But I actually found the scene kind of jarring because the music was such a, a change from the music my brain has associated with this setting now. Um, although it would have been more jarring if they'd have put on a contemporary record, you know, I mean, that would have been completely out of place, but I, I think that's a case where the music, even though it is the, the, the song choices, aside from the, the orchestral soundtrack of it, the song choices they make really kind of sum up the mood of that world. And I think really add a lot to the experience of the show. Anna, do you have one? Um, well, uh, it's strange, but I, I really like 10 things I hate about you. Yes. Uh, I've never been able to get the music out of my head. Um, in fact, I, I went and I bought the soundtrack, uh, and I was mad because they left some songs off. Um, and I could just hear them all in my head. Uh, and that's how I discovered Larissa Cleo. Uh, and like, I, I really feel like the Larissa Cleo in particular, and then like a couple of the other songs really fit, not just the, uh, universe of the film, but also like cats, the main characters, uh, for those who have not seen the film, which you should, and you should do it <laughs> instead of reading Taming of the Shrew, but that's fine. Um, it really fits like cat's attitude and like what she's interested in and how she sees the world. And also I have to say it because there's nothing else I can say that's positive. I do think the twilight movies had a very good soundtrack. Um, I think, I think that like a lot of people, um, it might, it might be an age thing. I think a lot of people might have just, you know, it, it, it fit the mood such that it is of those books Mm -hmm. and the music was decent. Um, so anyway, two very weird films with very strange musical combinations. If you put them together, but there Mm -hmm. we are. Max, what about you? Um, well, there are a lot of things I would like to talk about that we probably don't have time. Like, I'd really like to talk about Trent Reznor and John Barry, but I think it would be criminally negligent to release this podcast without discussing Ennio Morricone. Good yeah. call. Yeah. And if you if you think about the Sergio Leone movie, mm-hmm. say The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, yes. and you take take the music away, it's basically just a couple sweaty guys staring at each other for <laughs> about half the movie. Good call. And there's yeah, a, that, seems there's like a, that seems like an underestimate of half. <laughs> there's a lot of standing, there's a lot the, of standing the, and staring in that movie. <laughs> the twist in that movie is that there are three guys, sweaty guys, staring at each other. <laughs> and I think the way the music went in that one is that like, the music was kind of composed first, like Sergio Leone calls up Ennio Morricone and says, all right, I kind of need to make some money. Um, could you write me like an hour or two of the greatest music that has ever been composed? And then I'll stick some pictures of cowboys over it and, and put it out there. 
You're really selling this movie. They're, I mean, they're good and back in the, at least. It's an incredible movie because of the music. Yeah, Yeah. but it's not nothing. It's it's standing and staring at each other. He's not wrong. (laughs) It's brilliant. Um, One of the most important films of all time. Yeah, find a genre. Yep. Nothing happened. Redefine the genre. Well, I, well, I'm considering spaghetti yeah. western its own, yeah. its own genre. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's, what were you going to say about Reznor? Just, uh, just because I do want to actually. Um, actually oh, like I was, yeah, I was going to go back to the process of composing it so like my understanding is david fincher just like kind of tells trent what kind of mood he wants and says for each scene it says okay go off and write some music for this and trent got kind of annoyed at that because he ended up like writing four hours of music for the girl with the dragon the tattoo which i appreciate because i'm glad to have four hours of trent music but it was like not the most efficient process yeah <laughs> right because the movie's not four hours long and and there right. are points when no music's playing so <laughs> yes uh, so Stephanie. Huh. Hmm. Soundtrack rather than score. Either one. Um. You know what? I I have to confess that I'm not like big on soundtrack. Well, no. Well, it doesn't have to be. Which is sort of that's sort of the point that Wayne made. Like, can you think of one where you're like, you know, this album, you know, this song? Because I'm, I'm trying to think of even like your favorite movies. Like, I know the movies that you like. Um, yeah, I was thinking Memento. But, but that's a question that I have. Like, oftentimes, like the sound. This is what I don't understand. You can like cut this out. No, if, no, if no. Necessary. I, I, this is what I want. But so like oftentimes they'll have songs on the the soundtrack that weren't in the movie. And like, that doesn't seem right to me. Like, what? That's called trying to sell an album. OK. I hate. Yeah. Yeah. OK. <laughs> yes, yeah. There are many soundtracks where the- yeah, they, they they succeed for people like me. <laughs> you know, they add some songs that a lot of people like. And so they. But yeah, that that is kind of cheating. Mm-hmm. And the score, the score CD usually doesn't do that. The soundtrack CD often does. And um, yeah. And now that people don't sell CDs anymore, like you just buy individual songs or you just you know get Spotify. I don't know if that's as common as it was, but it used to be really common. Mm-hmm. You know, music inspired by the film Dirty Dancing. What the fuck yeah. is that? Before this happened, I was at Barnes and Noble and uh, we found music inspired by Game of Thrones, um, <laughs> which. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what, what, was it a magic dragon? Uh, <laughs> oh, um, it was on vinyl, first of all. Um, and uh, I think, like, I can't, yeah, the Lumineers was on it, um, and like some other strange choice, strange choices. Um, uh, I don't see how any of them really were inspired by Game of Thrones, <laughs> but that's fine. Though I do have to say, um, I thought we were just doing soundtracks, not scores. Mm-hmm. My favorite score fact is that the composer of Game of Thrones did not like Jamie and Brienne's ending either. <laughs> and so over the white book scene, he put like a wet, the wedding theme, and he was like, they should have had a happy ending. This is how I'm subverting this. And uh, it's my favorite fun music fact than ever. And also, he's right. Like, because, because it was a terrible ending. And well, you've already heard this. You go back yeah. and listen. Go back to the game with Ryan. Yeah, they should have ended up together. <laughs> I will um, never be over it. It's been a year. Well, the one, yeah, one of the ones that I wanted, you know, my favorite 
See, I don't know. My favorite soundtrack is probably whatever movie I happen to be watching right now at that time. But ones that I wanted to point out just because they sort of merge all the sound and track and, and, and score. Thing I together. know what you're going to say. What uh, was, What do you think I'm going to say? Purple Rain. Yeah. Well, all three of the Prince movies. Okay. The, um, <laughs> the three Prince movies. Um, Thank you for two, saying that. Uh, yeah. Two of which are good. All three of which I love. <laughs> now, now the, so Purple Rain, lots of people acknowledge this as a yes, great movie. Yes, I would agree. Um, Under the Cherry Moon, criminally underrated movie, didn't do as well. Um, brilliant movie, brilliant soundtrack. Graffiti Bridge, brilliant soundtrack. Full stop. <laughs> I adore the movie Graffiti Bridge. Not good. <laughs> very confusing. Very weird. Prince should not be allowed to write a movie by himself. Um, it, it, stuff just kind of happens and maybe there's magic going on. Eh, you know, um, but I love the soundtrack from it. And I think that um, um, that very much Graffiti Bridge of the three of them was very much. Uh, I've got I've got some songs that I've written and my friends have some songs. And we've got to make sure every single one of them is in this movie and go. <laughs> and, and it just, you know, I love the album, but it really is just watching the album and just watching, you know, 15 music videos strung together. Um, Purple Rain and, and Cherry Moon, though, um, are, are very, very well composed and well integrated, especially Cherry Moon. Purple Rain is a musical like they're playing a band. Cherry Moon, they're not. So it's just sort of, you know, let's try and get the mood. Uh, we'll make songs for the uh, for the mood of the scene. And, you know, Prince was a brilliant musician. He was a brilliant musician. I don't know if he was. I don't think he was a great actor, but he was. He a was a horrible actor. actor. <laughs> yeah, he's a, I mean, <laughs> he's, Graffiti Bridge is a movie where he plays himself. Absolutely. Again, I'm a massive Prince fan, but he's playing himself and Failing. <laughs> uh, they say that's the hardest person to play. That's what I've heard. Uh, well, he plays himself in the other two movies. Prince is the hardest person to play. Oh, is what I'm saying. That's yeah, true. Well, you I'm know what? I mean, yourself I would the actually. I, and you know, Mav, I'm glad you said those three movies because I actually had those three listed together: uh, Purple Rain, Under the Cherry Moon, and Graffiti Bridge. Because I, I am like you. I love those movies. I don't know if I could call any of them great movies. I think Purple Rain. That's a good. I didn't say great. <laughs> I'll put it this way: Purple Rain. I think I would say that one's great, if only because it's what they do with it is great. Like we get to see Prince in his prime as a performer. All the other supporting acts, and it just like and it works terribly acted. Under the Cherry Moon, it's it's kind of laughably bad. It's a beautiful looking movie, though. I think Under the Cherry Moon is a beautiful looking movie. But Purple Rain, Under the Cherry Moon, and Graffiti Bridge are Prince's equivalent of the earlier Elvis movies, particularly Jailhouse Rock and King Creole, where you really you're distilling the essence of the star or stars in 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 Prince's movies case. It is very much a vehicle, yes. <laughs> yeah, and a, and but that that music is so it's so powerful. The the music makes the narratives more cohesive. And I mentioned the Elvis movies because I mean Elvis himself, like he knew, like his earlier movies were better. The later ones were were kind of crap. But his movies always <laughs> made money, and so his movies allowed other movies, serious air quotes, serious movies to be made. Um, but you look at his early, like Jailhouse Rock and King Creole. Those are good movies, and you the music does what the music should and you have examples of both diegetic and anti-diegetic movie and by the way thank you for the explanations because i thought that diegetic movies were movies that required you to take insulin 
and anti-diabetes <laughs> <laughs> made you have to eat a cookie. But <laughs> Wayne resolved with nothing on this one. Because <laughs> <laughs> that that's, a, that's a perfect ending. <laughs> <laughs> so we've resolved nothing. I, I yeah. was I was going to bring up Bohemian Rhapsody and the Elton John yes, movie. Yes, I was but, too. Oh, but, go ahead. Go ahead. Just okay. we, well, I just, we, I, we usually have a recap after we resolve nothing. Anymore. Yeah. Well, th- those are those are both cases of you know I'm, I'm fans of both those artists and just as as movies. And you mentioned this in in the blog, I think um, the the difference in the way they use the music in both of those movies, like with with Queen, it was very much you know, we see them performing, we see them recording. Um, there were things that were chronologically wrong. I have a friend who was really taken out of the movie and pissed off because in the montage of them touring America in 1975, the song that was playing wasn't recorded until like three years later. Oh so it, it was completely you know the wrong song to be playing. The thing is. In 1975, no one in America had heard Queen songs and the Queen song. Like if they had put Ogre Battle over that scene, which is a song they would have been playing on that tour, nobody would have fucking got it. So they picked a song that more people in the audience knew and associated with Queen than anything they would have been performing in 1975. And I was absolutely fine by that. My my friend was just like, oh, that's the next tale. What's that? (laughs) It's closer than Knight's Tale. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whereas with without and John, the with um, uh, what was the name of the movie? Rocket uh, Man. Rocket Man. Yeah, they they use the music more as here's a music a symbolic musical journey of his life rather than any attempt to hear the songs in the order he wrote them at the time he wrote them and whatever. It was very much we are using Elton John songs as a soundtrack to illustrate his life in any order we want to. And and I thought that worked as well. So which is kind of what the Prince movies do. I mean particularly Purple Rain especially. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I mean we resolve nothing. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> I do think I, I I find the music that gets played in movies and in TV shows. I find it just so fascinating because I think it's I think it's overlooked, and I think it I think what Wayne and Steph both said pretty early on, and Steph right right towards the end, he repeated it. There's a lot of not being aware of it, but I think that's sort of what makes it great. Like one of the things that um, if you go back to like our award show episode, um, Hannah and I talked about things like how they choose. Um, how they choose best makeup for Oscar winners. And a lot of times what people do is they vote for the most makeup, which is not really what it right. means. <laughs> <laughs> like, they, like, 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 it, it, like, it's like, oh, it, it, I mean, do you know what won best makeup for um, the Oscars like three years ago? Fucking Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad is an Oscar award winning movie because people looked at it and they're like, well, there's sure a lot of makeup on that green guy. So, so it won and like really what you want is you want like you want it to invisibly disappear into the film like special effects mm-hmm. like music like the reason the reason the shark works in jaws i mean because obviously special effects for the shark famously the shark broke but even if it were working it looked pretty crappy it, you know, it was the best they could do at the time but it wasn't great looking then and it's certainly horrible looking now but it works because I never do think about um, the music. I like much like I don't think about oh that's Judy Dench. I think about the character she's supposed to be playing, and I think and when I'm listening to Jaws, I think about oh my god, that music playing. The shark's coming. I don't think about you know yeah, well, well the, the music. That? The, the, <laughs> yeah. the music somehow turned that from a you know not great looking mechanical shark into the archetype of all sharks that will someday eat us. You know, yes, like yeah. it, it, yeah. the music was transformative. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that's what makes this sort of an interesting conversation is just like there's so much of, you know, there are subtle things. I, one of the ones that I mentioned that we didn't really talk about on the episode, but I mentioned in the blog, the movie The Social Network um, is a brilliant score. You almost won't notice anything. Like I, I actually if you go back to the blog. I linked to this to a scene where they're just having an argument. And mostly there isn't a lot of music in it. It's just um, I believe um, I believe that's a Reznor score. Yeah. Yeah. And I believe he basically, you know, um, he basically plays music just at exactly the right times when the, it needs tension in the argument. And when he, when more tension will be created by just leaving it silent, he leaves it silent and it's a five minute scene. And if you just pay attention to it and just listen to the very, very limited drops of music that it's all non-digetic, they can't hear it. They're having an argument, but it just drops in and drops out exactly when it needs it to. And, you know, Reznor is great at that, you know. Um, and I also link to the RZA for Kill Bill, where he does a very similar thing during that fight. Like there's points where you're just hearing, you know, punches and smashes, and then all of a sudden music will play for 30 seconds and then it'll stop. You know, and it just it really is about you know building the character of the scene, and you shouldn't be aware of it um, most of the Actually, time unless you're you know a weirdo what? that hunts for it. <laughs> yeah. Could I could I make one? This will be the last thing I'll mention. I promise. So. <laughs> Yes, I agree. You actually usually music you shouldn't. But I just wanted to mention a, a, an instance where I was acutely aware of the music in a movie like when I was in the theater and it just it really moved me. Um, when I first the first time I saw Black Panther, um, I had the pleasure of seeing that amongst a really, really uh, diverse audience, young people, old people, all background. It was it was it was wonderful. And I'm sitting there in the middle of that. And uh, Ludwig Goransson scored this movie and he has a very close relationship with Ryan Coogler. He's scored several of his movies like Fruitvale Station and uh, the Creed movies. So, and Ludwig, it should be pointed out, Ludwig Goranson is Swedish. This is a white guy. <laughs> and, 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 I, and I only say that because obviously they built a world uh, in every respect for Black Panther that was, they wanted to be authentic. So, you know, they, they, he, he did a lot of research not just research, like he went to Africa and he studied music and he, he recruited musicians from there. And there's a moment where you first enter Wakanda in the movie and, you know, you kind of break the veil of this giant hologram thing that they have over the city. And the first time you see Wakanda and there's a vocalist you hear over the music, the vocalist is Baba Mal, who is a very, very, very well-respected uh, vocalist in Africa. And he, that moment, I mean, I can't even sum it up. It was just like a culmination of all the things. It was the people I was seeing the movie with, what I was seeing, the specific narrative that was, that, that just took blackness at, in, in for everything that it was and just made it itself. That moment in that movie, when, when I heard those vocals start, like it made me want to cry. I might've actually started crying because I, and I was, I was very aware of how the music was driving what I was feeling in that moment. And I was okay with it. So, you know, music, just like any other relationship, you know, it works when you don't notice it's working, but boy, when you do notice it's working, it's, it's powerful. So I'm really glad that we got a chance to explore some of it. I mean, this really just scratched the surface of a conversation like this. There's all these subsets. And I would love to get back at some point to talk about what you brought up is like women in, in, in movie and TV soundtracks, because that's, that's a podcast in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Because they are they aren't recognized that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, women in yeah in music in general. Yeah, well, we uh-huh. linked to um, 
um, we we linked in the show notes to a couple of articles that Hannah found that will talk about some, you know who some of the lesser known and probably should be known women composers mm-hmm. scores are. Um, there was a woman also, whose name I can't pronounce who did a really cool score for Chern- Chernobyl. Oh. <laughs> you should check that out. Okay. Yeah. Also, really, like if you don't want to do any sort of reading or research whatsoever, just go watch Mozart in the Jungle, which like it's it's short um, and features a lot of contemporary, especially like female composers. So it's cool. Is that on Netflix? Uh, it's an Amazon Prime. Oh, okay. Which, you got that too. Yes, I guess. Like, I guess. I guess. Don't cross picket lines if there's another uh, boycott. <laughs> um, but also, um, it really was like um, a very like nice, fun, quirky show. Um, yeah. So we're so so we've resolved nothing. <laughs> yeah. So we've resolved nothing. <laughs> I do want to thank. Um, I do want to thank well, we all of sure our guests. Now. Yeah. <laughs> we have a whole bunch of guests, so. <laughs> Um, go through and thank them all. Marcel, thank you for joining us again. Where can Absolutely. people find out more stuff about you? Everywhere. <laughs> MarcelWalker.com. I got social media, Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. <laughs> You'll be linked in the show notes. Maximilian. Um, I have a Twitter now. Whoa. So I should go follow me there. <laughs> How'd that happen? <laughs> yeah, I got bored. Um, I've also been doing a lot of stuff on YouTube since we're in the era of live streaming things now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a new album out. Mm-hmm. Which will be linked in the show notes. Um, yeah. As well. hmm. But all that, cool. the, the, the album and uh, your, your YouTube channel. This is a little different than a score because... Uh, your YouTube channel is frequently sometimes it's your artwork to music, which is kind of scorish, but then you just have sometimes where you play the instrument, which, um, you know, Wayne has pointed out, it's just fascinating to watch. Sometimes. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah. so, Stephanie. Oh, yeah, I have I have news. I have just set up a MySpace page for myself. A, a MySpace page? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting dead dead. I, I actually believed you there for a minute. Yeah, I, I was I was planning, yeah, I was planning that out. Um, yeah, um, uh, my ISPTutor.org is like um, for kids, middle school kids who like science. So send your kids there or go there yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. Follow Johanna. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Hannah Lee Rogers. Oh, that's it. <laughs> yeah, like I, I haven't been tweeting anything. Doesn't matter. Yeah, that's true. Wayne, yeah, I got nothing to do this week. All right, <laughs> same <Yeah>. places. <laughs> Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Maverick or on my blog at www.chrismaverick.com. You can follow the show on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, all the places, always at Fox Podcast. You can follow the show's blog at www.foxpodcast.com, where we talk about whatever we're going to be talking about next week. And I don't actually know what that is this time, but I'm sure it will be interesting. If you enjoy the show, and we certainly hope you do, please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from. And do us a, five, <laughs> do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review, especially on iTunes. That helps other people find the show. It makes us famous. It uses the algorithm and it gives us something to do and makes us happy. So we It would make Mav very happy. I can attest to that. Yeah, it, it would make me very happy. It definitely, I, I, you know... You know, you, you know, I told you, we almost got divorced over the whole Greece thing. So, you know, you, you, yes, you, you need to keep to, our, yes. life, <laughs> our life working yeah, better. Divert his attention from that. <laughs> uh, I would like to thank 
Maximilian of Popcorn Music for Epic Theme Song playing ever so more epically and playing us out. It's kind of weird when you're here to do that. That's <laughs> Max. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. you're welcome. Uh, I'd like to thank our other guests for joining us. I'd like to thank you and all for listening, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.